Hi, I'm Gail from Europod. Before enjoying your podcast, allow me to say a few words about Europe Talks Back. In the third season of Europe Talks Back, I want to uncover the topics that matter or should matter to all of us. From gender to bodies and sex, digital to migration and urban landscapes, and everything in between. Rather than focusing on macro-level policies, let's zoom in and talk to the brave activists and volunteers with lived experience, who are working directly with marginalized communities to further equity, justice, and liberation for all. Az én szabadságom különböző rendszerek idején különböző módon próbálkozik. My freedom has been restricted in different ways under different regimes. I have always had a big mouth. I witnessed the 1985 election fraud as I walked out of the House of Officers. On the other side of the pavement, the police were brandishing batons, the border guards were marching against us with wolf dogs, and the labor guards were standing along the boundary wall. The setting of this scene is Budapest. It's 1985, and the main character of this story, whose voice you just listened to, is Laszlo Miklausi. At the time, Laszlo was a young novice teacher, confronted with how the Soviet Union dictatorial system functioned. In fact, in Hungary, before 1989, MPs in the country needed an official nomination from voters even before being able to run in a given election. And that's why Laszlo was at the so-called House of Officers on that occasion to get his nomination right. In fact, in 1985, opposition activists to the communist regime, such as Laszlo, wanted to be able to run for a seat, but the elections were rigged, and Laszlo and his peers didn't get the nomination. They couldn't run in those elections. When our fundamental right to freedom could not be asserted in that situation, it frustrated me deeply. And I might add that it pushed me to become an active opponent to the regime two years later. Since then, Laszlo has worked for nearly 40 years in the Hungarian school system. Over these decades, many people have tried to interfere in what and how he teaches. But his sense of justice and his commitment to freedom have, so far, never been broken. I decide what I buy in the shop, what I do during the day and what I do at night, who I live with, where I travel to, who I vote for, what I believe in and what to think. But do we really decide everything freely? Humans have a strange relationship with freedom. Often we say that freedom is our most important fundamental value. Yet other times we tolerate being told what to do from above. So why is this dichotomy? Is there an objective level of freedom? And what would we do for it? Hi, my name is Alexander Damianorici, and this is Freedom in Hungary. In this podcast series, we tell the stories of six people from Hungary 
whose lives have been shaped by the concept of freedom. The level of freedom of a society can be measured quite solidly by the attitude of institutions towards education and, more specifically, towards the teaching of history. History is written by victors, or history is a fable agreed upon. These are just a couple of quotes allegedly from Winston Churchill and Napoleon, which show how sensitive this topic is. Political regimes want, from time to time, rewrite history. Alternatively, I'm sure we can all agree that the structure of the carbon atom is of less interest to political power. Laszlo Miklosi has been teaching history to primary school pupils in Hungary for nearly 40 years. He started his career in 1985. At that time, politics dictated what should be said about certain historical events. Teachers and education were not free at all. Students would learn something about history only if teachers dared to do their job properly. Such a context makes a big difference when one starts teaching. Because, obviously, people older than me, who started teaching before me, so to speak, faced even bigger challenges than mine. But I would like to add that there were many schools in Hungary where, until the regime change of 1989, the management was just as strict as it was in the 1950s or early 1960s. So a lot could and did depend, as I said, on where specifically a teacher was working. The extent to which the Hungarian administration of that time was hardline can be measured by how it forced teachers to deal with certain historical events. While no one could question the Hungarian Communist Party's leadership or its alliance with the Soviet Union, the most critical issue before the regime change in 1989 was the perception of the October 1956 uprising against the communist power force. After the uprising of 1956 was crushed, the Communist State Party adopted a counter-revolution. The official position being that the people, frustrated by the mistakes of the previous Communist Party leadership, had been fired up and deceived by reactionaries, fascists and imperialists to overthrow socialism. But this is not the only example. I have a very, very personal memory. My wife and I met in the year 1989. My wife is not a history teacher, and she wasn't my partner at the time. But when we met, we had kind of the same assignment. We had to commemorate the Hungarian Soviet Republic on the school radio on March 21st. The 21st of March is the anniversary of the establishment of the Hungarian Soviet Republic of 1919. Writing the history of that event was equally sensitive. So, in 1919, long before Hungary would become part of the Soviet Union and even before the Second World War, the Communist Party of the time conquered the leadership of the country. The Communists of the time took and held the power for 133 days. A few decades later on, under the Soviet times, only good things could be said about that republic. The atrocities of the Lenin boys, a paramilitary force of about 800,000 soldiers, could not be spoken of. The acts of violence by the Lenin boys would also be relabeled Red Terror. Instead, in the schools, only the so-called White Terror that came after the fall of the Hungarian Soviet Republic would be teached as violence. The White Terror in Hungary was a two-year period of repressive violence by counter-revolutionary soldiers carried out 
to destroy any supporters of Hungary's short-lived Soviet Republic and its Red Terror. So, these types of problems were felt in schools in the second half of the 1980s. And they were felt by Laszlo in various situations. Just like on that day, where he had to run a radio show and his future wife asked him what to do. És akkor én elmondtam, hogy én azt elmondom, hogy én mit csinálok. És konkrétan arra emlékszem. And then I told her what I was going to do. I specifically remember that just after the first three opening sentences, 50% of my radio show is about the Red Terror and 50% about the White Terror. So that's a very, very vivid memory. It was quite a new and shocking thing that the Red Terror was mentioned at all on such an occasion. So I remember that specifically. There were obviously history teachers who taught it as a counter-revolution and explained with faith and enthusiasm why it was a counter-revolution. I did a study after the change of regime in 1989. I ran 12 interviews with history teachers with absolutely different values. About 10% of the teachers who taught in this way were devout communists. I had a colleague who did the same. We loved and respected each other very much, but we had very different views on certain issues, for example, on this one. A similar small group of teachers also called the events of 56 a revolution. No matter how many years before the change of the overall organization of the educational system. And the vast majority were somewhere in between. Some would say to the students, read it at home, ask your parents, and so on. However, in the second half of the 80s, the socialist system in Hungary began to crackle and crumble, and independent associations were born. Laszlo and his young colleagues published a call for the formation of a History Teachers Association in April 1989. Six months later, this project, the History Teachers Association, became a reality. The association's aim was to promote professionalism, raise the quality of history teaching and eliminate the ideological nature of the subject at a time of great historical change. So, obviously, in a sense, there can be no classical, ideology-free approach to teaching history. How can I put this? I mean, we are talking about values. If we are talking about freedom, then that is also a value. And if you like, if we think in terms of ideologies, there are ideologies in which freedom is more important and in others it does not play a relevant role. But what we meant at the time, I think, is that, and we did not formulate it exactly like that, and perhaps we have since clarified some of the wording I just used, that the mandatory values imposed by the state, in addition to general human values, should not, in our opinion, be included in the teaching of history. So there should be nothing beyond the general principles. So the end of the communist regime in 1989 transformed Hungary completely. 
The year 1989 saw the establishment of political parties and the first free and democratic elections in 43 years. However, the new multi-party system brought a variety of ideas and approaches to politics. Backed by his teachers' association, Laszlo wanted to ask the first president of Hungary after the Soviet Union collapsed, Arpad Gönc, to help him arrange that the political parties would lay out a long-term common strategy about education. But Laszlo failed in his endeavor, so to speak. His story goes that even President Gönc was kind of afraid to make such a move. Well, it was a personal idea of mine. In the early 1990s, I approached Ardbad Günch's secretariat to ask whether it would be possible to go in this direction. And I told them that, if necessary, we would be happy to initiate such a thing. And if it were possible for the parliament, which was a six-party parliament at that point, to invite education experts to visit the president. So, to come and see him and cover the fundamental issues in the Hungarian education system for at least 20 or 25 years, regardless of who would obtain the power in the future. And I was also, of course, of the opinion that this would have been necessary not only in the field of education, but also in some other key sectors, such as health, pensions, social policies, and so on. At the time, I had the fear that otherwise, when another company came along, they would pick up the pieces and start over again. And they did. So, I was expecting to receive a reply thanking us. But to my great dismay, I received the reply that we could not subject the president to the inconvenience of a refusal. So the idea was that the at the time existing parties could find shared ground for a common goal such as the betterment of the education system of the country. In fact, the regime change of 1989 seemed like a unifying moment when all the political sides could work together for constitutional changes. But very soon it turned out that the regime change was just a very fragile agreement between different political actors who couldn't agree on a lot of things. Many people got disappointed and bittered by these developments. And one of these was Laszlo. Not to mention that the real functioning multi-party system, almost the first ever in the country's history, also revealed and enhanced the existing political ideological differences in the society. Differences that couldn't be noticed before the regime change of 1989. So, to some extent, this new reality came as a shock for most Hungarians. And so, somehow, the differences between worldviews, between political actors within the country, just got bigger throughout the years. It was clear to those who were there that this was an impossible idea that I was proposing. And it was there that something first broke in me about the change of system. So, was anyone able to glue together these divisions afterwards, after that exciting, yet somehow delusional historical transition of 1989? Well, there's no gluing. There are still a number of cracks in the window glass, but I'm not going to give up on my ideas. 
So long as I'm alive, I'll consider it a beautiful moment, a beautiful idea, a beautiful thought that we had at the time and we thought then. Over time, what Laszlo feared at the very beginning of this historical process became reality. Namely, that after 1989 in Hungary, different political parties and governments experimented with new educational policy concepts, bringing the whole educational system nowhere specific. It made a big difference, and still makes a big difference today, what the head of an educational institution, the headmaster, is like. This is very important. A lot depends on this in terms of the atmosphere and also on what can and cannot be done. At the same time, even where there is a more authoritarian, autocratic leader, the teacher has an internal professional autonomy. There's a common way of saying that I find very distasteful. Everyone knows it. If I close the door, I can teach what I want. And today we hear this phrase more and more. And I am outraged by this. Why should the door be closed more than 30 years after the change of regime? I usually teach with the door wide open. Everyone can make up their minds relative to what I teach. Just the important thing is to be able to defend what one does against anyone who challenges you. Laszlo himself, as a teacher, was confronted with the fact that after 2010, the government, led by current Prime Minister Viktor Orban, embarked on a radical overhaul of the entire educational system. This reform affected both curricula and textbooks, and once again, came with restrictions for teachers. To put it more concretely, going back to the example we talked about earlier in this podcast, the once very strong omissions hiding the violences that took place during the Hungarian Soviet Republic of 1919, today apply to the other, just subsequent dramatic part of history of the country, namely the so-called White Terror. Although it would be too much to say that today no one wants to talk about the White Terror anymore, it appears that the guidelines from the political power make it so that the relevance of those acts of terror is kind of washed away. It was quite different when there were optional textbooks. This is very, very, very important. At the time, also state textbooks, yes, there were state textbook publishers or whatever they were called, had to be grounded in reality, so to speak. And if a teacher decided that either on the basis of the professionalism of the book in question or even more so on the basis of its teachability, he or she would choose, say, textbook C rather than A, B or D. Well, he or she could do so. When you can only officially order only from two state textbooks, as is the case today, and in addition and precisely related to what I just described, the two books are worded exactly the same way. I mean, in the fifth grade, the books are worded the same way, and so they are in high school. Moreover, there are even examples where the professional proofreader is the same as the author who wrote the book. So figure this. After writing the book, the author checks whether what he or she has written works. Well, that is an interesting situation. There was nothing like this before. And this is really just one example. But to take the current seventh grade book, that's a story from this year, and it goes back to the issue of red terror, white terror, etc. The curriculum, 
The current curriculum no longer knows the concept of white terror. A fehér terror fogalmát. Az egyik tankönyvben benne van, a másikban nincs benne. One textbook has it, but the other doesn't. Instead, it features white battalion's retaliations, which, sorry, is not the same thing. Sure, one element of white terror is retaliation, but when you beat to death a shopkeeper who played no role in the birth of the Hungarian Soviet Republic, but just because he or she was Jewish, well, that is not white battalion's retaliation, but something else. So this is already in the curriculum, in the current framework curriculum. And to put it mildly, it is a distortion of history. So what would a teacher risk today if he or she thought something or used a different language from what's included in the two official history school books available and approved by the state? Semennyit, hogyha meg tudják indokolni és védeni magukat, mondom én, nagy szája. De azért rögtön hozzáteszem, hogy minél távol... Nothing, if they can justify and defend themselves. Well, that's what I say again with my big mouth. But I add immediately that the further we move away from Budapest and the university towns, the more vulnerable teachers get. And in some educational institutions, if you like, it takes more civil courage to teach what one's professional convictions would imply. I know stories of teachers who have left school because they were being chased away by some kind of headmaster. But I also know stories where parents have rebelled and the teacher had to leave because the former tried to dictate what the children should be taught. So there are quite different cases. But I am convinced that in all circumstances, a teacher can have some kind of professional autonomy, and that he or she can, in the most difficult situations, give some kind of signal and voice, some kind of indication. The reality is that there may be differences as to when, where, how, and in what form this is done. But I would like to add straight away that I see at least as big a problem, if not a bigger problem, in the fact that there are teachers who do not want to be teachers, in fact. Persons who are just there because, or who would prefer to be elsewhere. And then they just teach the textbook without caring too much. They would be better at just ringing the school bell. És akkor ők meg a tankönyvet tanítják, és mit érdekli őket az egész csak csöngesenek ki már. However, as a history teacher, Laszlo still teaches according to his own principles, and as president of the Association of History Teachers, he continues to fight for freedom of education, for teachers, and for his own ideas. As a matter of fact, Over the past months, Hungary, and more specifically the capital, Budapest, has been home to one of the biggest protest movements of the past decades. The protests are called by teachers and students. They protest against restrictions to the right to strike enacted by the government, as well as against the cost of living for teachers in the country. Laszlo has been taking part in these protests, often wearing t-shirts with the words who will teach tomorrow written on them. So why is this very question so relevant today? And why is it at the heart of the protests shaking the country these months? Well, that is one of the main questions today. 
So apart from the questions, what schools are for, what should happen there, what is in the interests of the children, although I prefer to use the word students, one of the hottest questions here and now is, who will be the teachers of tomorrow? And why hasn't this whole system collapsed yet? And I have to say that it is only working because there are many of us who are carrying it on our backs in a self-exploitative and masochistic way. And because there are a lot of parents who buy projectors for the classroom, who chalk and do whatever to make it work. When instead, we should be shouting out loud because everyone deserves it. I would just like to add that people in this country have very rarely taken the streets. Even the largest mass demonstration in 1988 on the occasion of the regime change, according to the organizers, featured about 70,000 people. Police figures say there were 35,000. Obviously, the truth is somewhere in between. Well, sorry. If only that many people took action during the regime change... Hát könyörgöm, ha a rendszerváltáskor ennyi ember mozdult meg. In other terms, Laszlo is implying that it will be difficult to see change happening in Hungary. It is as if the country itself suffers from low levels of engagement with civil actions by its citizens. So, will change happen eventually in Hungary's educational system and how important are mass protests for it? As long as there is no social expectation and pressure. So that's the question. Looking at it pessimistically, I have to say that this is a country made up of different estates. I mean, tell me, has there really been a liberation of serfs in this country? Or did it just seem that way? And if we say that there may not have been in the minds and souls of some people, well then, that means we have a long way to go. One can look oneself in the mirror, in my opinion, if one does do what he or she has to do every day, symbolically every day, in other words, continuously. Well, we do what we have to do. For example, I teach the way I believe I should teach, and I don't do anything other than what I'm supposed to do. I mean, in terms of values, or in the world of school, and so on. But I should also add that while earlier I was talking about the fact that we have a long way ahead, well, actually, on the 12th of March, 1848, who the hell would have thought that in three days from then a revolution would have happened? And on the 20th of October, 1956, who would have thought that three days later there would have been an uprising? Laszlo believes that the likelihood of change fundamentally depends on the deep layers of society and the will of society itself to change. Despite all of this, Laszlo still considers himself naive and optimistic. He surely has not given up on his ideas. Notwithstanding all that happened after 1989, he still looks back at those years when asked when he felt free the most. The world changes all the time. With the protests of 88-89, we founded the History Teachers Association, and privately, I was in love with my wife. The world was changing, and I was free in every way I could have been. In other terms, Laszlo Miklosi is still true to the democratic ideals 
of the regime change of 1989. But he is also a man willing to stand up for his own freedom and the causes he cares about today. He is well aware that Hungarian society, especially at a social level, is much more difficult to move than himself. And perhaps the most important lesson of our conversation is what he said about doing what needs to be done. Namely, that he will continue to teach to the best of his ability and according to his principles until change is achieved at a social level. He will do what he believes must be done for freedom. This was the second episode of Freedom in Hungary, a podcast series in which we ask people from Hungary to share their thoughts and visions about freedom, sharing their personal stories. This Europod podcast was produced in partnership with the Hungarian Budapest-based podcast production agency Bitone Studio. Freedom in Hungary is a podcast part of the Sfera Network, the first network of independent media in Europe, which aims to reinvent the media space and paint a new picture of Europe through impactful, unbiased, raw and authentic stories. This podcast show is also available in its original language, in Hungarian. The editor-in-chief of Freedom in Hungary is Anita Nieder. The editors are Susanna Fasekas and Luca Lukac. The original host and narrator is Andras Batis. The selection of soundtracks and original post-production is by Adam Gungiosi. The creative producer is Balas Roman. The producer is Richard Hampock. Sound editing and mixing of the English version is by Jeremy Bouquet and Thomas Kusberg from Bull Media Podcast Agency. The English voice of Laszlo Miklosi is by Robert Ashi. My name is Alexander Damianovic. Do you want to hear more podcasts that get to the bottom of things that stand out in the ambient noise? Join Europod. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and our newsletter. Follow us on LinkedIn, Twitter and Instagram. Discover our brand new website at www.europod.eu and join us in our fight. Europod. Clear the noise. Start to listen. Listen.